Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are chatting with Nathan Chappelle, not Chapel, Chappelle. Uh, he is the president at Futurist Group, where they are trying to leverage uh, artificial intelligence, particularly around gratitude, to better identify most likely givers or donors. Uh, it's a pretty interesting conversation, talking about their approach, what they look at for gratitude. Nathan talks a lot about his experience of uh, using wealth factors and how that's useful, but maybe not indicative or the best indicator about why people give. We also talk about generosity, current trends going on, the underlying 2% and how we can move that forward and uh, how we can better use data and big data to engage donors of all different sizes. So uh, all that coming up for you in this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to talk about AI and what you're doing with Futurist Group. But uh, I'd love to hear more about how you just got into this space. I'm always fascinated to hear how people end up in the philanthropic space. Yeah, it's been, you know, probably a more typical journey than what you normally than what you find in the nonprofit sector. But, you know, I was in the private sector, um, graduated from you know business school. I served on a board of directors at a local boys and girls club, and and lo and behold, after a few board meetings, the executive director said um, they were quitting, and I was the kid going. Uh, actually, at that time, I was getting my MBA and kind of figured, well, I have some time and I can help out, and uh, ended up spending seven years there. Fell in love with you know the mission. Um, I, I never realized that you could do good work. And also get paid for it, and so it was just that that journey that you, I kind of fell into it. And that was been about eighteen years, um, wow. you know. So it's been uh, it's been pretty uh, remarkable and a lot of fun, and been able to look back and realize that you know I was able to help support a lot of great missions during that time. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying earlier and last time we talked to, you know, so much of your diverse experience uh, kind of led you to where you are and being able to use something like AI. So let's talk about that. Um, can you just give us a quick definition of what AI is? I know kind of gets thrown about all over the place, but how do you define uh, AI? Yeah, I mean, AI, you know, basically is a, a fairly made up, just extremely broad term, but it's, you know, loosely defined as anything that you would program a computer to do that would simulate what a human would do. And that's probably the easiest, best definition of it. But, you know, like you said, the term is thrown out in so many different contexts and people just generally lump in anything that seems like new technology <laughs> as something that's <laughs> right. AI. Right. Right. So um, maybe can you share more about how you specifically are, are using AI or maybe more of the why like, uh, and how? So how did you find your way into AI and, and why is AI such an opportunity for nonprofits in the generosity space? Yeah, you know, so probably, you know, for me, I've always been this kind of early adopter. You know, I remember when the brand new iPhone came out, I, of course, had, you know, the first version 
And I actually remember looking every night at all the apps that were uploaded into the app store. Back then, you could actually like, you know, track them all. It's like six new apps today. It's like really cool. <laughs> you know, so I always, you know, look back at, you know, my time and in, um, in actually my first two companies before getting in the nonprofit sector. Uh, one was in digital, high-speed digital scanning, which was not a thing back then. It was, you know, completely... Um, actually there was nothing called Adobe PDF. Like we had to use different applications and, and, uh, build our own computers. So, um, you know, getting into the nonprofit space, it was a little bit interesting for me because I was, you know, more, you know, trained as a, you know, just regular business person had been an entrepreneur. I understood, you know, the things, you know, things like metrics and levers that you have to pull to generate revenue. And I understood ROI. And then getting in the nonprofit space, I, I kind of realized, well, this is very similar. Like, I mean, there's, you know, the way we're raising money is uh, basically a culmination of those things that I'm doing every day. So my number of visits that I'm making or phone calls or emails or uh, whatever are are going to generate revenue. So I've probably, um, for the last 18 years, always been really approached nonprofit business as a business. You know, it was about eight years ago that I started doing, you know, our first real predictive models. Um, and it wasn't actually in what we're doing now, which is finding um, prospects by gratitude. But what we were doing um, back when I was at UC San Diego, we had done some really in-depth analysis of like our, our team's activities. And the idea was that if we could quantify all the different activities that, you, you know, we have 230 employees, I think, around that. And if we could quantify all of their activities on a daily basis, basically, could we predict whether or not we're going to hit goal? And we got pretty good at this and, and started doing you know, a lot of different, um, basically, algorithms um, that would show, like, if, if we keep on this pace and we keep on doing the quality of uh, the quantity and quality of these things, you know, every day, then we're going to exceed our goal or we're not going to hit goal. And that gave us really good insight you know, on a monthly, quarterly, you know, semi-annual basis to look and say, okay, well, we need to emphasize this area of our business more, or, you know, this area is, you know, not really panning out. So let's pivot here. And so that's really where I got started on this notion of like, you know, using, you know, big data, quote unquote, but um, data to really help us make a prediction. And it wasn't until about three years ago um, that I came into a senior vice president at City of Hope when I, you know, looked around and we didn't have a lot of business analytics or business intelligence and pretty good sized team and a big fundraising goal. You know, there was this idea of, you know, you know, we're buying um, predictive models from organizations that were just seemed to be um, helpful in the beginning, but they actually seemed to dissipate in terms of how they were performing over time. And so I think it was probably out of sheer frustration of like, there's got to be a better way. Um, and relating back to my experiences, you know, prior to that and, and using data to, to make better predictions that we just said, you know what, this is, you know, AI is really transforming the private sector. Like, let's look at what opportunities are there. And the, my original idea was actually, I wanted to be the first nonprofit to use IBM Watson um, for predictive um, capabilities to find donors. And and we actually tried that, but IBM didn't really have any interest in, you know, a few people in Southern California. So we ended up <laughs> kind of going off on our own and, and um, creating several different AI algorithms. And it was really about this notion of, you know, can we use big data and the newest technology to help us find prospects in a way that 
had really never been done before. Cool. Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And, you know, when we chatted earlier, one of the things that I liked is how your approach, uh, especially on gratitude, kind of differed than a lot of other people that are still, I mean, not that it's not useful, but it's very much the kind of predictive models of, you know, when did they last give and looking at giving patterns. And to your point, I think, you know, when we do them, they all end up kind of similar, right? Like, oh, you want a recurring donor? Well, focus on people who've given three years in a row, people who give in this range. Like, it's pretty ubiquitous. But other than that, it kind of stops being super useful. Like, it doesn't tell me who exactly or when exactly or how exactly. It's still kind of more generalities about, you know, data mapping. That's a lot of people are using the kind of algorithms, which, again, is, you know, useful. But to your point, it's kind of it's kind of a starting point as opposed to an ending point. So what's so different about what you're doing, especially with a focus on gratitude to build these models? Yeah, so there were a few different machine learning algorithms that, that we created. One of them was basically underwritten by Chad Goble with the Goble Group. And and he came in and, and basically said, hey, if we underwrite a large portion of this cost, you know, would you consider, you know, we can use get data? You know, the idea was... Um, is really figuring out what are those those key moments in someone's life that would inspire them to make a gift, you know. And so this is experiential data, and 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 there's some areas that have lots of this data, and other areas that don't. But healthcare ends up being one of those areas where it's probably the most quantified human experience. You know, there's pretty much no other place, maybe in the military, I guess. That when you go to the bathroom, it's written down on the chart, you know, so the healthcare seemed to be like this really rich data environment because of, you know, obviously from a um, clinical perspective and, you know, care perspective, continuous care that that all that data exists. And so the idea was that, you know, everyone is passionate uh, about something. But can we find the people that are passionate about us? And is there a way to find, you know, those traces of of passion through how they're interacting with an organization. So that was really the the impetus for all of this. So we created this um, AI algorithm that is um, not based on wealth at all. And, and that really came as a conscious decision from the very beginning. When we started testing different algorithms and their effectiveness of predicting which people would make a gift, we found that wealth actually was only predicting donors one out of 10 times, so only 10% effective. Yet it's something that 96% of nonprofits use. Um, and we just did a poll, our own poll the other day last week, and found that 76% of the nonprofits that we're working with are using wealth as a primary way of getting people into portfolio. Now, if we think about you've got, you know, quantifiably a one in 10 chance of closing a gift from someone who just is identified through their wealth. I mean, that leads to a lot of frustration and a lot of frustration by fundraisers. And, you know, there's a lot out there right now talking about why fundraisers are leaving their jobs. And I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, we have taken something that was really never intended to be this this great predictor of gratitude, wealth screening, and we've made it kind of the industry standard of determining, you know, who's going to make a gift. And the reality is, Wealth is extremely valuable information. Like we, we actually just signed a partnership deal with Donor Search, and we have unlimited access to all their data. And the reason for that, it's it's really great at telling you how much someone might give, but it's really not intended to tell you whether or not someone would give in the first place. And so, it you know, in our view, it's kind of a two sided coin. You know, we use wealth to determine how much, and then we built this algorithm without that data to give us the best insight on who's most likely to make a gift. Mm-hmm. 
And and so you you kind of combine those data points based on like their experience and their visit to the hospital or their loved ones, you know, like these types of different data points to figure out actually uh, who ends up becoming a donor. And then based on the inputs and outputs, you come up with an algorithm that's saying exactly. here's actually who's most likely to give. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, what what's available now that wasn't available, you know, 15 years ago. I mean, machine learning has been around for a while and the private sector has been really leveraging machine learning for a good 10 years. And it's just now, you know, it's part of that adoption curve. Now people are, you know, there's enough organizations that are not just, you know, Google and Apple and Microsoft that are doing this, that um, it's starting to hit, you know, mainstream and finally starting to hit nonprofit. But, you know, the idea is if you can collect enough data about someone's experience, you can determine whether they had a, a positive or negative experience. And so, you know, there's a couple examples where this could, you know, this this works really well. Healthcare is one where, you know, there's direct correlations of all HIPAA compliant information that speak to like the number of visits that someone has in the departments of uh, those that those visits occurred. Um, and, it, and the list goes on and on. There's about 130 data points. But in machine learning, you can take 130 data points and you're able to calculate between, you know, four to 5,000 correlations between those 130 data points. And so the idea is that this is extremely precise in that every single constituent ends up, you know, being evaluated by four or 5,000 um, basically calculations to give you this insight on whether or not they're you know, likely to make a gift. And the best part about this is I realized we're building our first model was like, oh my gosh, I'll never have to buy another model because what a machine learning model has the ability to do is actually get better over time. In fact, when we, our first model, I think was 16% accurate and we can test that because we tell the machine, look back at last year and tell us without, without us telling you, you know, machine, tell us which of those, you know, people made a donation. And the first time we ran this, it was about 16% accurate. But after about a year and a half of training this machine over and over and over, and the machine learns, we got to 50% accuracy. And that's where basically our benchmark is now with every client that we work with. So we trained a 50%, it's called recall in machine learning. And at a point where it can look at an entire, you know, last year's um, database and tell you with 50% accuracy who made a donation, you know, the machine is ready to go go into the wild. You know, in higher education, you can look at um, data attributes like the grades that a student received, the number of parking tickets they had, the um, the professors that they took, whether they had student debt, if they lived on campus or off campus. And I was brainstorming for, you know, 30 minutes one day, I came up with like probably 20 different data points that would speak to whether or not a student had a good experience that would lend itself to philanthropy. Um, then online is very rich as well. As people are clicking or liking things online, um, there's a, you know it's not mainstream yet, but there's definitely correlations between what people click or share or like and you know and their passions. And so that data is now becoming more and more readily available to organizations to kind of farm and say you know well this person is let's use a cat video example, but they're liking a lot of cat videos. So ASPCA could then send them a solicitation just related to cats and not cats and dogs like they've always done in the past. 
Yeah, and that's a lot more of, you know, the world that that I and we live in and operate. And, you know, the big challenge that you mentioned earlier is is the data or the input. Like, you know, hospitals have so much of that quality data on the inputs. Uh, on the online side, there's often kind of a, a gap between right. online activity and then their giving behavior. Like we can't often like sync those two things up. We can know who they are and what they give and maybe like last click, but that kind of more historical right. view of how did they get on the file? What emails did they read? What did they – like the more cohesive picture, which is what you need to gauge in engagement, uh, puts a lot more pressure on your, your data and systems. And so that has sure. created a lot of problems. But there's organizations doing it. We do it to a small degree where you should be able to say, you know, this person who's been giving two years in a row – is all over our blog for the this week. You know, they're reading like six posts. They've opened their last three emails. Yeah. What if we ask them to upgrade their gift now, as opposed to you know three months from now when our schedule is you know scheduled to go out and, and send them that kind of appeal? Like exactly. that's the kind of thing that just makes a lot of sense. And the the key thing, and this is what's so great about your model, is it's based on their experience and their kind of um, engagement with an organization. Uh, not based on just kind of other things. And we know that is super useful, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we would see the social media piece as a as a, an additional data point. And so it's, you know, people are very complex. Like people make decisions, you yeah. know, very quickly in, in a lot of different, you know, they by evaluating a lot of different things. So the idea is, you know, if you can get creative and pull any, any disparate data set that you can imagine that speaks to, how a person either engaged or resonates with an organization, then that's where you get to the center. I mean, I, I believe that everyone is so passionate about something, but the re- reality is that the reason why people only give 2% of their income is that they're not actually connecting with those organizations that they they can't say no to. And so, I mean, I, I know if there's something that I am just like crazy passionate about and, you know, and, and I have like direct experiences with, and it's just something that you know, I don't know an organization that already does this thing, but all of a sudden they find me and they come and they're like, hey, we're doing this exact thing and we know that you care yeah. about this. Then it's like, I'm so compelled that I can't say no. And I, I think I'm like the average American. Like, I think, you know, America is extremely generous, you know, country. And I think it's just the fact there's so much information out there. It's so hard. It's just a constant competition for people's attention. Um, so, you know, this idea of using the kind of background data and analytics to help you kind of narrow the search and narrow the focus. It's to help you nonprofits find people, but help those people find the nonprofits as well. Yeah. And then, you know, the other big variable in there is, is what the actual message is, right? Because we right. can tell you perhaps, or data can tell you exactly, hey, this is who you should talk to and this is what they're most engaged. And even this is what they care about or their experience with you. But if you still have a pretty crappy you know, right. message to connect the dots that doesn't resonate, then it doesn't matter. And so that's why I think there's huge opportunity where we can spend less time finding these people. But this is where we have to improve still on the messaging side of things yeah. uh, to connect those dots for people. And and there's there's opportunities for AI to improve that, right? Uh, instead of doing an A-B test, you can do like an A, B, C, D, E, F, Z test, you yeah. know, to, to try to figure out what they respond to and serve up, you know, contextual appeals based on activity. And there's, there's some really cool stuff that we can do. Uh, and so I'm glad people like you are kind of leading the charge and moving us forward. You know, yeah. And, and again, I mean, it's not about even the technology. It always comes down to a, a person and how they're, you know, accepting this information. It's the right time, the right ask and the right amount, all that kind of stuff. 
you know, I mean, these are tools to help organizations be more effective, but it's, you know, it's really coming down to can these tools help accelerate, you know, basically that relationship between an organization and a person? Can it help, you know, foster it or can it help just, um, you know, cement it a bit faster than the typical, you know, we found someone who's wealthy, let's have lunch with them over the next year and a half. And, you know, when they sell their business, they're going to give us some money. You know, that, you know, that works sometimes, but it's just really inefficient. And so this is just a, a tool to help, you know, organizations become much more efficient. And, you know, I do think this is just the, you know, the very, very beginning. I mean, there, you know, four years ago, I was talking about AI at a the philanthropy tech, you know, kind of conference and people looked at me like I had four heads. And, <laughs> and now, you know, there's companies coming out of the woodwork and it's really exciting to see you know, solving different areas, whether it's like trying to figure out like what's the right ask or what's the right approach or what's the right timing. And these are questions and challenges that the nonprofit sector has had forever. And so, I mean, I, I think this is the first time in our history that that we'll have the ability for, for technology to really support. Um, and it's two ways. It's, it's really to help, you know, organizations support their mission by raising more money, but it's it's really helping people fulfill this need internally of, of altruism that they want to, you know, they feel good when they're generous and they feel even better when they're generous to an organization that really needs it and cares about them. And I think that's where, you know, this bridge is a really great gap. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And that's why it's great that, you know, someone like yourself who has a nonprofit background uh, is behind something like this. Cause I do think there's a temptation for some people who maybe know machine learning and data. Great. And they see, you know, three hundred and four hundred and twenty billion dollars is given, and oh, here's this big market. But if you don't understand how generosity is done, or how giving is done, yeah, it's, or how nonprofits operate, right. where, you know, the the struggles they have. Like we're just talking about email fundraising, still trying to win people over to like online yeah. fundraising. You know, like the lag and the technology adoption and things like that is is really really key. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So you've spent a lot of time in 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 the business world, nonprofit space. I'm curious to know, just kind of stepping back and looking more generally, like what are a couple of things that you wish you knew before you started into the nonprofit career? Or, or put another, way, what would you tell someone who's just starting out that that you think is key for them to know? You know, I mean, I think it's a great question. You know, it, it, hindsight's twenty twenty. When I look back, you know, and, and you know, when I started, actually, however long ago, I had a boys and girls club. It was literally like I had to raise money every day, otherwise we couldn't make payroll. And I, I knew I was always the last person to get paid because I had to pay all of our staff first. And so, you know, I went frankly after the wealthy people, and I, um, and that was just something that like we had limited resources. We, we found the wealthy people and we focused a majority of our attention there. I mean, the reality is that it's not about wealth. I mean, there's a lot of extremely wealthy people that are not altruistic or they're not altruistic to your cause because it doesn't resonate with them. And, you know, it's so much harder to try to convince someone that it, something does resonate with them. And, and that can happen. I mean, you can cultivate and cultivate and build relationships and, find those little niches for, for people, but there's a lot of those individuals that will just never give. And so I spent a lot of time doing that over the years. It wasn't, you know, you know, I mean, looking back, it's like, no, I would drill down way a lot more into like finding the individuals that had similar passions, um, connect on those passions. And then, you know, it's amazing is that, you know, people can give um, in very meaningful ways, you know, and, and when I think about, you know, a major gift and plan giving, 
Like, I mean, some of the, the biggest gifts came out of these relationships where people didn't have a lot of cash, but they gave in other ways. And so that is probably number one. I mean, the other is just the the thing that probably a lot of people hear is like, you know, no, hearing no is, is a, is a really big learning opportunity. I mean, if, if you let it be, you know, hearing no, you know, I've, I've also, you know, managed a lot of fundraising teams and when you're hitting 100% success on your solicitations, it means that you're you're just going for the low hanging fruit. You're just you're playing it safe. And I, you know, I've learned no it has been such a great learning opportunity for myself. And you know, and it's usually not no forever. It's usually no, you know, not for this or not right now or not that amount. And if if you're able to, you know, accept that no and not get upset and you know, kind of take your toys and, and go home. And you take it and you learn from it. And, and then even if it's a no forever, it's like, I'm taking how I, my approach, I'm dissecting my approach. Like what, what could I have done differently or how should I have looked at that um, as an opportunity? So, I mean, that's probably true in any business. Um, it's something that I think in the nonprofit sector, it's, it's never the, a fun thing when you have great aspirations of, you know, um, soliciting a new donor, but it's, it's something that, um, I think the great fundraisers have learned to really master and they've just kept on persevering, you know, time and time yeah. again. Yeah, no, that's great. And I mean, obviously it, it has direct application for the, you know, face-to-face fundraising. But I think that's one of the things that I've learned a lot from our founder, uh, Tim, who even talks about, you know, we have our success metrics for online fundraising, conversion rates, open rates, click rates. Right. But you kind of like flip on the other side and like, what about the I don't care rates? You know, right. What about the 80% of people who never open your email? Like what's going on there, right? And at least to this curiosity, like how are they actually receiving it? Is it going right. to the right inbox? Right. You know, like how do we move those people from not caring to caring a little bit as well? And the only way you look at that is by looking hard at the people who are basically telling you no. And some of those people are those forever no's and you really shouldn't waste your time. But there's a bunch of people that are just kind of, like you said, no for now. Right. And we have to you know, figure out who they are and, and why they're no for now and see what can make them a yes uh, in the future. Um, I like that. OK, so last, last question. Um, and we try to ask this to, to everyone because this is what our mission is. But how do you think we can grow, optimize, and improve generosity? Man, it's such a big question. You know, <laughs> I, I, and there's so many parts. So, like, a lot of my um, educational background is in economics. So, I tend to approach things a little bit on this, like, macroeconomic scale. But, you know, what's interesting, you mentioned the Giving USA results earlier, is that, you know, while giving's increased, you know, numerically, like, you know, $427 billion this year. Um, this is actually the first year that it actually um, basically decreased. But what's been happening for years is actually the average American has actually been giving less for a while. But the the, the total number has been, you know, kind of as a staying on, on par with GDP, just because there's a lot of the, the um, ultra high net worth individuals are just giving these massive gifts, which really is masking this this, I, I don't know, I've been calling it lately when I do public speaking, a generosity crisis. And I don't know if crisis is the right term, but... I, th- has- I think it is. <laughs> okay, so good. Okay, you're, you're one. <laughs> so, you know, people kind of look at me a little bit sideways, but they haven't realized that for a while, like, you know, these nonprofit organizations aren't competing for more dollars. They're actually competing with each other. So, you know, what my entire, like, personal mission in life is to help inspire 1% increase in, in generosity. And so... When you think about it and break it down to one percent, one percent, like if I if I could give one percent, which I know I can and I do, 
it's that, you know, that, that will make a remarkable thing. You know, if we can convince others to do just 1% more than they're doing now as an industry, we collectively stop competing with each other, but compete for a net increase in generosity and just 1% more. I mean, think about in the United States, that's 200, over $200 billion a year in just the United States. So, you know, I think it's um, an aspirational question. And I think like what can we do to improve generosity? I mean, of course, big data and, and, um, and in business intelligence is going to help with that. I think we just get really, really, you know, as an industry focused on, on this idea of, of inspiring 1% more of giving. And, you know, when people are no longer giving, you know, 2.1% of their income to charity and they're giving three, you know, 3%, I mean, it's going to be a remarkable thing. Um, so I, I didn't answer your question directly, but I, um, I, I definitely at the center of it here for us, I mean, we're looking at, um, predicting generosity um, without wealth. And, and that is, you know, one step. And there's lots of steps in that, um, you know, process over the next couple of years. It will be really kind of a pivotal moment for the philanthropic industry. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, this is a massive question. It's something that, you know, you live out every day. But what I liked about the response is that generosity crisis, because I actually do think that's that's a problem. Like there's fewer donor households giving, even though there's more <laughs> donor households and people in theory care more when you look at like search trends and things like that. Right. So for me, and this is, a, you know, one of the things that I talk about is we have a, a huge conversion rate problem in the nonprofit industry. We're actually getting worse at converting people's care into contributions. And it is a crisis. And I think because there's so many um, optimists uh, in our space and everyone wants to see the positive side of things, which is great. I don't think we've really embraced the fact that we are in a lot of trouble. And until you feel the pain or know that you're in trouble, then you kind of stay on the status quo, which is, I think, partly where we are, where we are, where we're so far behind and we're not taking risks and all this type of stuff. So even just using that kind of the right data point to communicate that generosity crisis, I think, is really, really important. And so we can start, you know, working harder to get back on the right track. So I really, really uh, align with that and appreciate the fact that you're saying that. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, no, it's great to have another person that really gets it. So. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I'm sure we could talk a lot more on all kinds of different things, so maybe we'll have you back on. But I appreciate you taking the, the time to kind of unpack AI and talk more about gratitude and, and how you see philanthropy. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so, well, thank you. Thanks. It's really been a pleasure and, and happy to come back anytime. Um, I, so Futurist Group is really uh, it's a company that we launched in March, but it was it's um, the company that owns this um, patent pending algorithm that was developed several years ago. It's f u t u r u s group dot com, and um, there's a video on there that really kind of breaks it down in much easier terms of the way I talk about it. But um, and of course, we're we're willing to reach out and provide you know not just we're not just doing pitches to clients, but you know we believe in philanthropy and we believe that we're here to help increase philanthropy so we will talk to anyone and and help others put a hand out and um share our experiences so anyone who would want to reach out and continue the conversation would be we'd be more than willing to do that awesome well we'll be sure to include that in the in the show notes as well so thanks again nathan for coming on the show and uh, all the best in your work awesome thanks so much really appreciate it
Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It, Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.